Hello and welcome to Motorsport Now, the podcast to find out what motorsport competitors are doing without any motorsport. Today's guest is Matt Neal and I'm really excited for you guys to hear what he has to say. He's got some really wise and sound advice to anyone who's aspiring to get into motorsport, but also he's just got some really good stories anyway. Um, I met Matt a long time ago. Um, my dad knew him pretty well through his Sparco work and Matt was really kind and one of my first races before um, I started rallying was with Mazda and I'd been given this amazing opportunity for race for them in some endurance races and I had this MX-5 given to me um, before this first race and I did a track day and he came along and gave me some tuition around the track. He managed to squeeze into this MX-5, his knees were literally up by his chin but he managed to like clamber in and did his best with that so I'm always very grateful for that time. But without further ado, here is Matt Neal. Uh, my name is Matt Neal. I'm one of Honda's British touring car drivers. So Matt, it was meant to be quite a big year for you this year. It, it was. It was going to be my 30th year in um, in British touring cars. Not that I'm, I like to sort of skulk in the background. I don't really like to stand up and be counted on, on big milestones, but it is a pretty big milestone. Um, I did my best to 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 not make it with with my I had a mountain bike accident in January, uh, which sort of put me back, and it was it was going to be touch and go for this. Well, it was going to be touch and go for the start of the season. Uh, so this whole scenario of coronavirus has unwittingly helped me uh, because I wouldn't have been around for the first couple of races. Um, well, at least it was a, a silver lining for you then. So apparently it's going to start back in August. How do you feel about that? And kind of all the races going to be put together quite condensed uh some people have been moaning and groaning about it saying it's pretty intense i think bring it on we, it means we're going racing um and that's the main thing we're gonna i think we're gonna have three races in august some back to back so we're literally going to be racing on sunday and then driving to the next circuit for the next weekend so but it's great we're going racing we, we're going to be starting in august first and second behind closed doors do august behind closed doors and by by that they mean um with no fans, with a, we've all had to submit um, minimal skeleton crews to run the cars, so no hospitality, no nothing like that. So we'll be be like old school. We're going back eating sandwiches that we take with us. Um, Picking up pack lunch with you. Yeah, we'll be doing that <laughs> for August, and then it's going to run on till mid-November. So it's it's going to be uh, it's going to be pretty dark. But the the, the Type R's got the best headlights, so I'm not worried about that. Of course there's. I can also say that my type part also has the best headlights, so I'll definitely agree with that. That's really exciting. So obviously it's going to be dark, it's going to be cold, potentially icy. That's really exciting. Well, you can have snow in November, can't you? So it's going to be quite a new dynamic, but we've had snow at the first race before now in March. So um, it is what it is. It's the same for everybody. And it does mean we've got to look after our equipment a bit more and try and, you know, be a bit more sensible because the turnaround time is going to be minimal. So... Uh, the team's furloughed at the moment, as are a lot of motorsport teams. But when we get back, they're going to be flat out prepping because um, you know, prep time is going to be minimal. So you've got to have a good stock of spares and, and stuff you can call on. Yeah, I think um, spare parts are quite important, aren't they, in BTCC? <laughs> um, if you could just tell me a little bit about your first race, please. Yeah, my first ever race would have been in 91 um, at the British Grand Prix. It's when British Touring Cars support was at a support event. Uh, it was sort of bring on the clowns at the end. Was, was it? Yeah. I didn't even know. Oh, I should know that really. They used to um, 
they used to do it so the crowds wouldn't all flood out the gates. Uh, it was to try and keep keep the crowds there, um, and it worked. It was great. And um, my first teammate there was uh, Frank Sittner. <laughs> Just shows how long it is ago. Um, yeah, sorry, I'll try not to ask too many more questions about dates. <laughs> yeah, it was July July ninety one, um, and I was racing in the British Saloon Car Championship at that point, which is the Group N, which doesn't exist anymore. It's like a more of a production championship and I got off a one-off drive we got some sponsorship together we begged and borrowed and got a bit of sponsorship together and got an, uh, an E30 M3 uh, and it was really surreal it was great I had I don't know whether I had any testing or anything like that but um, you just rocked up you just went straight there yeah it's great I loved it no way a bit intimidating first time I'd, I'd driven in front of that sort of crowds you know, and um, to look around and all the crowds used to stay there for the Grand Prix for the touring car race. And it was, um, it was pretty, pretty mega. That's really exciting. Can you remember being super nervous? And... I was very conscious of the crowds. Um, I don't think I was, I didn't want to upset the Apple car or do anything wrong because, you know, all the big names were there. Frank Sickner, James Weaver, Steve Soper, Andy Rouse, John Clennand, you know, all my, my, my heroes. So it was, it was pretty surreal to me. And I never thought I'd, you know, I wasn't a kid that, if you turn back the clock, that um, had an aspiration of said, right, well, I'm going to make it to Formula One or I'm going to make it to touring cars or I'm going to... I just loved motorsport and sport. And I sort of, my dad, I got into bikes and then my dad got me into a car to get me away from the bikes, uh, but not till late. I didn't do karting or anything like that. And then I didn't set my goal of getting somewhere. I just tried to do the best I could and enjoy the moments wherever I was. and. Um, so, and then I ended up in touring cars. So, and here I still am 30 years later. <laughs> and can you just tell us about your first win? Can you remember it? Oh yeah, uh, just a bit. It's quite some story, isn't it? Yeah, um, Donington, 99. And um, it hadn't been done for nine or 10 years with an independent because the, back in the 90s in super touring days, it was real factory uh, run championship. By factory, I mean by the car manufacturers and. As a, as a little privateer, independent team, you weren't allowed the same engines, the same tyres. So it was a real David and Goliath thing. And um, we won at the opening round of, of 1999, but Alan Gow, who's like the Bernie Eccleston of touring cars, he put up a big prize fund for anybody to do this because it hadn't been done for so long of 250,000 pounds. And we went and did it at the first race. Um, and what he did is he insured against it. So it didn't, Unfortunately, I'd like to say it all came out of Gow's pocket, but it didn't. Uh, it came out of the insurance pocket. But what he failed to tell the insurance when he, when he took it out was that he changed the regs over the winter of 98. So that was the first race ever we ran with the same tyres as the factory cars, and we won it. So that was, uh, that was a pretty good day. Go for it. That's, that's awesome. What a great story. I like that. And um, obviously, your, your sons are racing now, aren't they? How do you feel about that? Yeah, I'm great. I mean, just, um, you know, it's, I've been in motorsport and people have said, have you kept old cars? And I said, no, because we haven't been able to afford to. Unfortunately, we've had to sell them to move on to the next one. And we've, you know, we, we worked on raising the sponsorship and, and making it pay for the sponsors and work for the sponsors. And we're like that. We haven't got super rich out of it. It's been more of a lifestyle thing and we've had a great ride, but it's the same. It means I haven't earned you know, a small mint to pay for my sons to start racing. And it's the start again. So 
we 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 do a bit, we try a bit, and we're trying to be, be realistic. And I'm trying to give them a good experience. And then I said to them along the way, I want them to do it, and I want them to make it, but I want them to enjoy it. You know, because when you do it for a living, it actually takes the enjoyment out of it because there's a lot of pressure involved to perform because there's a lot of people who want your job um, and are prepared to do it cheaper or whatever. So it becomes a bit more cutthroat. So I want them to enjoy the experience because the sport is a is a phenomenal sport. Yeah, it really is. And you must be very proud that they're happy to go towards that. You must have been quite happy that they said or suggested to you that they maybe want to race at some point. Well, they didn't start with, and then they sort of got into it when they got the car licenses, they got into it. I mean, one thing I miss, and I really badgered my dad, I wanted to do a race with my dad, either against him or, or with him as a teammate. And he'd never do it. And... Um, it's something I've done with the boys now. I, I partnered one Will I, and we won the race, um, charity Dave Allen race down at uh, Castle Coombe one year. And have I, have I driven with Henry? I don't know whether I have or against him. Um, I've tested with him um, and we've had father and son's clashes, but um, yeah, it's still on the list. I want to do, a, you know, the Creventic do a great long distance series and I'd like to do, um, try that with them at some point. That's really nice. That's a lovely thing to do, isn't it? It makes it all worthwhile, doesn't it? And obviously during this time, there's no motorsport. So what are you doing to try and keep yourself focused and ready for when you do get back? Because obviously you're still not 100% after your accident either. Well, normally I have to go on a, <coughs> a big pre-season diet and um, I train all year round anyway. I'm lucky I've got a built a gym at home and everything. Um, but I do like my food and 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 everything else that goes with it. So I normally go on a big pre-season and then because I broke my shoulder in, in January, um, that was the sort of in the middle of it. And I've been on a bit of a back step since then. And then they say for bones to heal, because I broke so many bones, don't starve yourself. You've got to up your protein levels. And so then I've been putting on, I was putting on weight rather than losing weight to the beginning of the season. Um, so now I'm trying to be sensible. I'm trying to up my exercise again, you know, do a bit, do two or three, points of exercise a day out either running cycling or gentle weights i can't do heavy stuff still on my shoulder and and um mobility stuff um and i'm just working away in uh, i've got a bit of an office in the garage as well it's my man den uh and i'm i'm, I'm definitely um busy so or, or or not bored in fact my life is just my life i think for the last 30 years i've just firefighted i've gone from one fire to the next fire to the next fire so it's actually, without being horrible, it's given me a bit of time to sort of collect my, my thoughts and do things and sort of do a few things that I wouldn't have done and do a couple of things around the house, which has pleased Karen. So <laughs> there. you've done your chores and what's kind of distracting you? What's kind of keeping you away from the gym and maybe not making your diet particularly healthy? Um, no, I, th I think what's distracted me is, is a little bit of worry of where we are going to be coming out of this because it's, you know, the coronavirus is one thing. The economy is, is going to be a completely different thing when we come out of it. And, you know, we're, we're reliant on sponsorship and people doing well. And, and that's, you know, we've already had them asking questions. So that's, that, that gives you a few sleepless nights because, you know, you've got to think what happens, not this year, but the next year and the following year afterwards. Because um, with, with the business and then I'm involved with Rimstop, the wheel business, and, and they've got a similar scenario. There's some people been furloughed um in the foundry and they they've actually quite enjoyed their life at home so they don't want to come back you know when now they're talking about coming back so it's going to change 
um, what we do and how we do it uh, immensely am amongst a lot of people. You touched on this in another podcast I did. Um, I forget who um, I spoke to about it, but we do wonder how many people would come back into the sport potentially because when you are at home, you do find actually I do like actually spending time with my family or I forgot I liked you know music or you know this is the career I want to take now and motorsport is a pretty heavy going career to take isn't it so yeah that's that is really interesting yeah we went I mean we, we at Dynamics which is the race team we've probably lost um over the last 10 years we've lost a dozen people to Formula One teams and out of that dozen people probably nine have come back not to us but to um national sport because they just can't take it because they we all have this goal of we all want a big garden, but suddenly when you've got a big garden, you've got to maintain it and it's not fun. You know, like they all, we all have aspirations. They, they would to get to Formula One and the money and the travel and everything. And then you realize it's not so glamorous. You're seeing the inside of a garage in 20 countries and, and airport lounges and you're away from, you know, I've got, I know I've got friends and they're away for nine, 10 months of the year. They don't see the family, but they get on the gravy train of the money and they can't get off it. So it's, um, It'll be a reality check. I mean, we had a one mechanic turn up at Dynamics one year in a GT3 Porsche. Right? What are you coming here for? And he goes, I've been with Williams on the Grand Prix team for 10 years. And he said, last year I had eight weekends at home and I've got an eight-year-old boy. He said, so I've got to get real. I want to see my lad grow up. So he said, uh, that's why I want, a, I want a proper job. Well, if you can get into as a proper job <laughs> yeah it does look very glamorous from the outside and then when you dig deeper they do say it's a very much a single person's job to be a formula one mechanic that's that's insane and just in terms of so you, you kind of led us to this really so what advice would you give to anyone coming into motorsport as a competitor or obviously you see from a business point of view as well what what kind of things would you like to pass on what wise words would you give um the one I've tried to give youngsters is always have an exit strategy because for the, if there's 35,000 license holders in the UK, there's less than a hundred making money out of it. And there's less than half a dozen making decent money out of it. You know, the rest of us are just bumbling along, making a nice lifestyle, but there's, there's a lot in there. And whether you make it or not is a lot, can be down to your talent, but a lot of it's down to luck. Right deal, right time, right place, falling into your lap, right phone call, whatever. So there's a lot of good drivers who do everything, tick every box, train hard, work hard, and they don't make it just, just by bad luck. So then you need a good exit strategy. So I always say to youngsters, you need a good education. One, so you've got a good exit strategy. And two, because it makes you a a brighter, more rounded person for either the engineering side or conversing with engineers, understanding the mechanics of the car and all the rest of it. And then it's just, you've got to, you've got to give it everything. You can't go in half-hearted. You know, you, it's got to be a life and soul thing. It is a lifestyle thing. Um, but you've got to try and enjoy the experience along the, along the way. Otherwise, I remember seeing a Carl Fogarty interview and him saying that he never enjoyed his racing career because even though he was, he was successful, he'd, he was worried about the next race. And if he won a race, that was gone. He was worried about the next one. And if he won a championship, he was worried about the next one already, not enjoying that one. And I could really relate to that, you know, because I've won a championship, a British Touring Car Championship, and the very next morning, I'm worrying about the next one. 
I've already started planning and the next race and the next race. So it's, you've got to try and take a step back. And for me, I, I sort of got a bit disillusioned with it hmm, seven or eight years ago and I really sort of had enough of it. And then I went in, I got invited to go and do some historic racing and people were smiling at you in the paddock and it was fun and, and you know, it made me realize why I fell in love with the sport all those years ago. Um, and it was a real injection in the arm to me and it made me turn around and look at myself and realize how lucky I was to be where I am and doing what I'm doing anyway in, in touring cars. And it, it gave me a real energy boost to, to sort of continue with the sport. I think that's a really valid point for anyone in any form of motorsport. It's the cost as well, isn't it? It can catch up with you. You just got to make everything stack up. Yeah, for sure. It's got to work. So obviously you have done an awful lot of racing and hopefully racing starts again soon. But is there anything else within motorsport that you would like to give a go at? Uh, yeah, I always said um, if I finished my career, I'd be disappointed if I'd never done Le Mans. I've done some great races and I've had the opportunities to do Le Mans, but they either came at the wrong time where the calendar conflicted or you needed to take sponsorship with you and I hadn't got the sponsorship. Um, but then, so I would be disappointed because it is such an iconic thing in, in sport. Um, but I guess if I don't do it, I end up a bad ride anyway, so I can't really complain. No, you're doing pretty well. <laughs> and have you ever tried rallying? I did. Yeah, it's a piece of cake. I have tried it. We were out in, um, with uh, Reese Motorsport Insurance and they're into their rallying. And so we were doing um, Mark Taylor, who was, who was working at um, um, Reese the time always organizes some fun days and we were we were we were taken around and we had some fun and i've done a bit over the years and i've went out with johnny milner a few times his old wrc um corolla that's pretty eye-popping uh, and i went and did um i didn't race him but i was a passenger at i was one of the celebrities at the race of champions when it was actually a rally stage and that was that was fun i did that a couple of times it, it was it blew my mind how much grip they've got on on loose you know surface Incredible, actually, how much speed you can carry. If you watch the in cars now, the new like the WRC cars are just insane. But um, yeah, so you said you did do it. How did you find having to listen to someone talking to you and telling you which way to go? Did you actually have it where you had navigator? No, I didn't. Okay. No, it was in closed courses, so I didn't do the old uh, co-driver bit. Oh, okay, well, we'll scrap that bit. That's co-driver. I was just screaming. <laughs> But I think that's all I can, can ask from you, unless there's anything else you want to add to put out there to any of the motorsport competitors. You've given us some great advice and you've given some real good perspective on everything. Um, is there anything else you'd pass on to anyone else up and coming? No, I would just always be, I would always say fight hard, fight fair, uh, because what goes around comes around. And, I, you know, I'm, I've probably, I've got mixed reputations on, on, on track, but I, I always say I'll fight you hard but I always try and fight fair. So, and I, I will put that out there to everybody and um, then you can walk away with your head held high. So are you, are you missing Jason or? Not particularly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Jason, no, I, we get on all right now, we speak and we might even buy each other a beer. It's probably because we haven't locked horns and we are the old stages ganging up on the youngsters now. We've got to watch out for the youngsters rather than look out for each other. So maybe, uh, Maybe we'll have that beer at some point in the near future. Excellent. Well, that's very nice. Well, thank you ever so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And uh, hope to speak again soon. Cheers, Jay. Take care.
And that was Matt Neal. I really enjoyed the conversation with him. That was really brilliant. I forgot I asked him about Jason. <laughs> well, I hope you guys are enjoying the podcast so far. And um, please send me some comments. Is if there's anything you think I'm missing, questions to uh, to drivers or anyone within motorsport that I'm, I'm interviewing, then please just get in touch. Uh, message me on Instagram. That's the best way to get hold of me. And it's at Jade Paveley Motorsport, P-A-V-E-L-E-Y. And if um, you can please just leave a nice review and subscribe, that would be absolutely fantastic. And also thank you again to podcast sponsors, Forest Experience Rally School and Test Venue in Carno, and to Group B Motorsport. Speak to you guys again soon. Keep smiling. Bye.